focus around the is it a religious festival or is it not a religious festival trying to unpick the kind of binary of that um, and yeah really kind of drawing that together with all the kind of major kind of well before we get into that I should do my intro I have an intro yeah yeah go for it it's it's super impressive welcome to the religion and popular culture podcast where we talk about religion popular culture and everything in between isn't that great I'm so proud of myself (laughs) for coming up with that one it's like the ultimate and like I'm so cool Um, I'll show you my logo later. Brilliant. <laughs> I have a logo. <laughs> anyway, um, so today I am with a good friend of mine, uh, Lucinda, who's here in Durham with me. And we got to, I got to show her a new cafe in Durham. <laughs> I am very impressed with the cafe. It's an excellent cafe. Besides, I'm now going to spend all my time in this cafe. Besides religion and popular culture, my other expertise, I would say, is Durham cafes. <laughs> Which is a good thing to think. That's what, that's what I should have done the podcast on, is Durham cafes. But I feel like that's a little too niche. It could be next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you do work on Christmas. Mm-hmm. Why don't you explain a little bit more about that? Okay, so, um, I really came in it, not from Christmas at all, really through looking at uh, nostalgia um, and, and memory. Um, and I started by um, looking at um, uh, choristers and their faith, and that was my, my question. So it was a really completely different topic. Um, and through interviewing um, ex-choristers actually at Durham Cathedral, um, I started to find, okay, well, whatever had happened to their face or their lack of face as they went through their life, the thing that was really drawing them back into that space was this feeling of nostalgia. And I started to just get really interested in that particular emotion and the role that it was having in that kind of a ritual setting. Um, partly because it's so multifaceted, there's so much going on in one emotion, there's so many different emotions going on in one emotion. Um, and so that was really my question. And from there, I started to think, okay, this is, this is interesting. Um, and how can I look at this phenomenon on a broader level? Um, and found Christmas um, as an obvious time in which people are looking back to their childhood memories and feeling nostalgic about them um, and are doing it throughout their lives and connecting with something that really provides as I see it a source of continuity in that you know it's very recognisable imagery you know you say Christmas and everyone's like oh Christmas you know um, I have very easy jokes when I say what I'm doing to people they're like oh Christmas oh my goodness can you even study that oh my god that's so cool um, and then I you know I make the, the joke that you know I get to study Christmas every day oh I wish it could be Christmas every day it came true for me um, and you know but it's all stuff that we're very we're very used to um, in our culture and um, it really provides that kind of recognisable uh, imagery um, and imagery beyond just kind of visual stuff, you know, it's imagery of all kinds um, and um, just something very tangible. So what I'm really looking at when I'm looking at Christmas is the way in which people construct and cultivate their identities throughout their life course um, and the way that um, they're drawing on something collective um, but in a deeply idiosyncratic and personal way um, so yeah that's that's how I came to it <laughs> I mean I feel like Christmas is something that 
I think even because what I find interesting about it, and particularly from the pop culture references of it, is that Christmas is something that people recognize even outside of your kind of traditional religious circles, which is where I I think it's the most fascinating to really yeah. grab onto. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's what I'm really kind of interested in unpacking because really. Uh, when I first started looking at it, I was really focusing in on carol services, and there's this kind of interesting phenomenon in uh, in the church, actually, that you've got almost quadruple the numbers of, of people turning up. And why was that? And who are these people? And why are they turning up? Um, and really, I think it's just, in a way, they're the, exactly the kind of people that scholars of religion are trying to interview throughout the rest of the year. And they're all there, literally singing from the same sheet, um, to be very cheesy about it. But they are, they're, they're there. And, you know, and it's people who feel that they're cultural Christians, people that are actually not Christians, but people who are different types of Christian. Um, people who are complete atheists, but love singing carols. They're carols, you know? <laughs> who doesn't like singing exactly. carols? Exactly, they learn them in their school. Um, and so I just think that's a really interesting mix. Um, and so in my um, research, like two of the main spaces that I'm going to be working in, um, and this is a first tip off because in fact this is hot off the press. I've only just really decided oh, what I'm doing. So, I'm just breaking about it. so yeah. Um, so um, I'm going to be um, an elf. <laughs> <laughs> um, in um, hopefully at um, uh, at Crook Hall, uh, which is based in Durham, and um, is a um, old sort of country house and, and gardens, and they put on, I suppose, what is a kind of Christmas experience for people. So people bring their families to come and visit Father Christmas. Um, so that's one space in which actually, yeah, in a way, they're they're there trying to construct nostalgia. They're there trying to construct this very discernible narrative um, that is recognised in general as a secular narrative um, of Christmas. It's, it, that is connected to the kind of commercialisation aspect, clearly, you know, spending money on the presents, etc. Um, and then I want to compare that with the congregations that turn up for your average carol service. Um, and actually what has struck me in each of these spaces so far um, in the preliminary thinking I've done on it is actually just how similar they are um, they're different kind, you know, different sides of the Christmas story as people envisage it um, but actually they're both old um, that sounds very generalised <laughs> um, but you know they're both spaces in which you know people turn up and they get that sense that you know generations of people have worshipped or celebrated Christmas um, in this space um, and people like that and actually both of those you can't really quite can call the church an institution kind of but you can't quite call Crook Hall an institution but you know each of those um, organisations I suppose have that play on that um, and in their introductions will say isn't it special that we're still here it's still Christmas and where are we at now sort of thing so it's that kind of sense of time again right okay um, which is what I'm really trying to tap into um, but that I guess the interesting thing is how many people at Crook Hall are going to church and how many people at church are going to places like Crook Hall and yeah. you know uh, where's the overlap and my sense is that it really is um 
one of those as a festival it's something that is just incredibly syncretic I mean it is syncretism itself um, the way that that Father Christmas and Nicholas um, tradition has has grown um, is incredible um, you know uh, different cultures across the world you know it's, it's drawn from so, so many people do it in so many different ways um, and the way it's developed here you know it's from a bit of a poem and then a bit of a you know Coca-Cola makes it a little bit extra famous and changes the colour of the you know all there that's supposed to be myths so you know who knows I mean that's the thing it's so blurred um, and and now even and it, it evolving all the time so now I'm really interested in you're going to smile the elf on the shelf phenomenon um, and this is where Gelf comes in and Gelf right. is going to come into play because um, Gelf is my elf my girl elf um, and she I had she the is... privilege of meeting Gelf you did <laughs> Vivian is, is one of the, the privileged few who has met Gelf so far I'm hoping that Gelf is going to spread her Christmas magic even further um, over the next couple of years so she is my research assistant and she's going to be helping me during my field work and particularly um, helping children to understand what you know what I'm doing essentially um, so I'm hoping she should be helpful to me in that way um, but also it's just a kind of a way of just thinking about the way in which a story like that a ritual like that um, actually because that's what we're talking about um Christmas is such a good example of a story that has uh, seeped into the imagination through its performance in ritual form and in a very intimate setting um, as well. Um, but the way that that develops, um, so the Elf on the Shelf, I mean, Elf on the Shelf is only one brand, there are many different, and Gelf is in fact not an Elf on the Shelf, so I mean, you know. Um, so I think I think her brand is something like a little Elf for Christmas or something like that, but there are, there are a couple of them. And they've become really popular, certainly in Britain, in really the last two, three years, um, and have just suddenly taken off um, and the idea is that the elf comes to visit the entirety of December um, and is watching the children's behaviour um, to report back to Father Christmas so it's kind of hmm, a bit like 1984 I'm, not sure, <laughs> you know, I'm okay with that but but, um, but yeah done in a kind of charming way uh, but at the same time the elves are there creating mischief um, so I find that a very interesting kind of mix and moment I'm I'm kind of thinking this is like a, an identification thing, like that, you know, if a child makes friends with the elf and the elf is like them and the elf is naughty as well, then actually they can be better than the elf, you know. I'm like this and you're not like this. Okay. So I think psychologically that's probably why it works, but that's just my little theory so far. But anyway, the point is that this is just, in terms of the ritual form of that in the home, it's major. This is mischief being created with the help of parents every day of December. I don't know how anyone does it. Um, 
And so that's really, really extended out the experience of, of Christmas. And who knows how it will develop? Maybe, you know, will there be family elves that go through? Will people buy them every year and they're expensive? Um, will they buy them every year? Will there be a new elf? And this is this is a visitor that comes every year and then disappears at the end of that time. So there's an excitement to it. Um, but that's completely rad- radicalised the way that children and parents are going to interact with that story and has built on the story. It's become popular, I think, because it's seen as um, the modern remaking of a, of a tradition um, and is branded like that. I think, you know, on my box, um, something like a modern, yeah, a modern family tradition, um, which I just find the modern and tradi- really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'm hoping that sort of thing will come come up as well or come out um, in my research but watch out for girl because you know <laughs> well, <laughs> she's the face of this what I find interesting is when you're when you're talking about this and, and you mention it kind of a couple of times mm-hmm. you say like the Christmas story but then you yeah. kind of have these other stories that are connected to yeah. it mm-hmm. so is there a Christmas story <laughs> or the Christmas story or that is, is it a, a collection of various ones mm-hmm. or... I would say the Christmas story is whatever people understand the Christmas story to be. <laughs> and that's a very political answer. Yeah, but that is the kind of point of my research because I think, yeah, okay, essentially there are a collection of stories that are associated with Christmas. Um, clearly uh, that would be seen as a heretical statement by the majority of Christians who would say the Christmas story is the story of Christ coming into this world, the incarnation, etc. And technically, Christmas, Christ, Mass, um, is that. I mean, really, I mean, historically, that term, that is is where it comes from. Of course, it has roots much further back than that um, and has been amalgamated with, you know, goodness knows what else along the way and um, across you know, both historically and, and, and culturally. Um, but really, I'd say now, yes, it is drawing from many different traditions, and a lot of people wouldn't see it as a primarily Christian festival. Um, although, even if they don't see it as a primarily Christian festival, I would say most people in our society would recognise that there is a tension there and that this is the kind of root as many people would would see it so it is both a Christian story and not a Christian and not a Christian story when you you mentioned that the carolers that were atheists that were in there and this identity struggle that you talk about as Mm -hmm. well I find that that is interesting that you have people who are heavily involved Uh in spreading a story quite a lot of the Christmas carols are religious And yet to find an identity that they can agree with Mm. in a thing that they don't agree Mm. with. Yeah. And yet, that's Mm. just... And this is why (laughs) I gave my uh, diplomatic answer to start with, because I think that's why I think it it, it is about what is your story. Uh, Because I think for a lot of people, uh, I'd be really interested to see what what the role of uh, kind of patriotism is here, because I think for a lot of people, even if they don't believe, this is about British culture um, and the fact that you go to church at Christmas and we are a Christian country. Um, 
you can dispute that. But I think that's the perception and, you know, it needs to be in a nice, aesthetically pleasing church with candles and choristers and preferably red robes. And we need to be singing the idyllic, nostalgic songs of our childhood. Like, and that doesn't need to be connected to, I believe, in God the Father, you know, right. <laughs> etc. Yeah, so it, it ends up becoming almost like a historical familial connection yeah. rather than mm-hmm. your what you would I guess mm-hmm. think of as a, mm-hmm. as a religious connection so yeah. I don't want to say it's not religious exactly exactly it's... and it could be religion of a different kind you know because I, I do genuinely believe that a lot of people and this is kind of what came out of my MA research would see that in itself as a kind of spiritual connection because it gives them a sense of the transcendent in some way and that is connected to this sense of time which I think is pretty key um, and actually blurs those boundaries a little bit um, because just being in that in that space it's an anonymous space you don't have to sign up to anything in a carol service no one's asking you to stand up and say the creed so actually to participate all you've got to do is stand up and scream the songs that you know really well from your childhood and that's such there's a comfort to that and so I feel like people are able to kind of transcend in a different way and transcend time boundaries which is what I think is is very interesting Um, and of course, you know, these are not actually really ancient traditions. They don't go back any further than the Victorian period, but that doesn't, that's not the point. The perception is the reality here, because yeah. um, people understand them to be our heritage, um, our carols of our heritage, uh, traditions of our heritage, um, and things that have been done for years. So therefore, and in... in very historic buildings and, and the way that you know people are now interacting with beautiful churches and cathedrals um, as I suppose um, I, I guess vestiges of a, of a past um, in more museum fashion frankly I think this connects to that but that doesn't mean to say that people aren't feeling a sense of something more in that space um, and that's what I think is a very interesting kind of point and that's connected to the beauty of the building which is a kind of could be a I'm taken out of myself experience but also to that sense that people have been doing this for years and you know connected the sense of connection to your ancestry to you know it might be to memories of your own past in that space but it also could be to the sense that oh yeah people have been here since 1200 you know um, and it doesn't really matter the fact that they clearly were not singing their Victorian carols in 1200 in that space but but, but that that is the, the, the perception so I think that seems to be what people are experiencing actually across these boundaries whether it's in a religious space or not um, and maybe there's a slight difference there maybe there is um, but that's what I really want to try and unpick in my research and it's why I'm not actually just basing my research in the church um, oh, yeah. Um, so yeah we'll see so when it comes to actually doing mm-hmm. your field work uh-huh. it must be rather complicated to basically only be able to do it for mm-hmm. a month every year yeah. at a time yeah this is my headache <laughs> of the moment um, and I haven't mentioned um, so I'm sort of based in those 
two spaces doing partisan observation. Um, and I, I'm going to be pretty you know, open about it. I want people to kind of engage and I'm hoping to be quite active on social media with it as well. Um, and uh, hopefully Gelf will be up there following me about. Um, but I also am going to be based in a primary school, um, Devil's Cross Primary School. Um, and um, I'm going to be just helping them out in the run up to Christmas and just kind of observing what they do. Um, but they also they have a nativity play, which is another kind of setting. Um, so I'm particularly interested in, in that. And actually, no one's ever looked at British nativity plays um, before. So I feel like that's a real kind of gap because actually, you ask most people here, certainly at this university, you ask a class of, of, of freshers how many people were in a nativity play, and it's everyone, uh, irrespective of whether they were at the faith school or not. Um, and I think that's very interesting. You know, people, again, a very discernible story that people recognise to be the Christmas story. Um, but people feel extremely emotionally connected to, you know, everyone's able to joke about, oh, who was Mary in your class? And who was, you know, oh, it's the star. And, I mean, people get very excited about it and joke about it, laugh about it. Um, and it's a very important part of British culture, I think. Um, so it's that. And then I'm hoping, <laughs> hoping, 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 um, that I'm going to be able to spend Christmas Day itself and hopefully some of the lead up as well um, in, a, in a care home as well to, so to be contrasting those two ages so essentially I've got all this field work to do in a very short space of time which is <laughs> daunting um, but I'm hoping there should be connections between those spaces as well and then the hope is that in each place um, I will identify interviewees to then interview in January to March <laughs> to kind of spread this out a little bit because I really want to have those two methods juxtaposed against each other. Well, not against each other. I want them to talk to each other. Um, so I want to interview people who participated in the same space. Uh, to me, that's important to me. I want them to be more conversational than formal interview. Um, and it was important to me to be able to interview people in their homes um, because it's very difficult for me to barge my way into people's homes at Christmas time. So yes, this is yeah. a way of kind of doing that. And I feel like the home is such a central part of Christmas for so many people um, that it would be negligent not to include that uh, heavily in the research. So at that point, I'm hoping that uh, I will be able to um, ask people to bring in objects that they associate with with Christmas and it could be it could be like a song or something um, but I'm hoping that you know people might bring photos um, uh, or you know the mixing bowl <laughs> you know or whatever it is that uh, means something to them um, or the Christmas decorations um, just to kind of give us some triggers that kind of bring Christmas to us you know because frankly practically I can't interview people at Christmas in that way because frankly it's rude people won't be up for it um, they're kind of doing Christmas that's why I'm studying it because you know everyone's busy they'd rather be doing exactly. that talking <laughs> than talking to me about what they're doing um, and I don't want to intrude on that um, so I'm hoping that this has given me a fairly good balance um, but yes <laughs> can't lie it's a challenge to biggest field work <laughs> yes so why why do you think it is that people haven't looked at the nativity play 
because you mentioned yeah. it in this this talk, and I, I've heard you talk about it before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And even as somebody who was who is not mm-hmm. British, mm-hmm. yeah, I've, you know, mm-hmm. I've seen uh, Love Actually, yeah. and therefore exactly. I, you, yeah. know, you can kind of I could kind of see the, from the so outside in watching yeah. this that this was mm-hmm. something that people just do, yeah. and even there it was kind of made as a joke with the octopus that was at the exactly. <laughs> And if you, you know, stopped pretty much anyone in the street and said, oh, Nativity plays an octopus, like, they get it. You know, because, so actually that's interesting as well, like how film is, is drawn in um, to these things and plays on them, um, but also contributes to people's sense of what a Nativity play is and how people participate in it and what it represents. Um, so yeah, I feel that's a really good example of actually how, and I haven't even talked about Christmas films at all, clearly. I mean, this is the, well, I mean, the, the problem with the this problem project is it's quite a lot. It's too big. Um, and so I'm, I, I do find I have to re- I have to rein myself in here. Um, but I think it's incredibly important, you know. And again, you look at uh, uh, Christmas films as a phenomenon. I mean, you really, as far as I can see, they're all escapist in some way. Even the kind of more modern takes on Christmas films that uh, are trying to invert that kind of genre. It's an inversion of that genre, and it's funny because it's an inversion of that genre when things go wrong and things aren't escapist, you, you know. Um, and in a way, that is representing a kind of utopia. They are nostalgic films. And even the, the films that, you know, aren't about Christmas, but are considered to be Christmas films, like The Sound of Music, like um, The Great Escape, um, those kind of, of, of movies. Yeah, exactly. Um, why? Why are they watched particularly at Christmas? The Wizard of Oz, like the railway children, they're classics. Um, they're seen as classics that are usually, well, not usually, I'd say mostly associated with childhood in some way. And to me, that just kind of draws in that theme again. And again, is a really good example of popular culture or media in some way actually interacting um, in a very dynamic way with the way in which people uh, celebrate on these occasions. And I think that's, that's another really important thing, like what's the nature of the celebration? I mean, I'm circumventing the question about nativity uh, plays because <laughs> I didn't know the answer that. is that I don't know. I don't know why no one's looked at them. And I can only guess. Um, it is a peculiarly British thing. Um, I'm still trying to work on working out like how how this became so pervasive and, and, and popularised, um, and where it kind of really originated from. It seems to be a kind of post-war phenomenon, um, but there's very there's very little to go on here. Um, but it clearly is very prevalent um, in all types of school at the moment. Um, Although, interestingly, there have been, certainly in the last 10 years, debates um, in the media as to whether, you know, these are ostensibly Christian plays, is this acceptable, and that is starting to take place. And I, I um, yeah, actually did a, I undertook a smaller study uh, looking at a London school interviewing parents of children who'd just been in the Tips of Play last year, and um, it was so fun, it was so cute, because everyone, I mean, to be these, you know, really butch guys, frankly, like, you know, and they're all, you know, cooler than school, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then and then you start talking to them about the nativity play, and they're like, oh yeah, mate, yeah, they're angels, yeah, 
their wings. Yeah, it was so cute. They're so cute. Oh, I just couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. And then, you know, and they can interpret it. You know, I had, I was a bit nervous about it, but in that study I had um, a part of the interview where I asked them to tell me the story as if they were telling it to their child. And I was like, oh gosh, I'm not sure. I wasn't sure whether it was going to work. But actually most people could have a fair stab at, at doing that exercise and enjoyed it. Um, and it just made me think, gosh, you know, this is again just a really interesting example of the way in which performing a story like that literally within your personal life story because it's kind of a rite of passage you know at least a semi-rite of passage it's not I don't think it's pervasive enough in British society to really say this is a rite of passage but I think for a lot of people it is probably the first public performance that people will do you know it's usually done at four or five you know in your first year of school um, and you know the parents are very possessive about it you know uh, where they sit where they can where they can they get a photo and it's it's also about that sense of oh this is what I did I was Mary oh what's my my child going to be um, and of course you know parents will be proud of other plays it's not like you know what, why is it this one that's any more important and we talked about that in the interviews as well um, but I think there's a sense that this is so prevalent and it's usually a play that the parents themselves have also done so it's that sense of continuity and again I think that's what makes it stand out um, but it probably, you know, frankly, like Christmas Carol services attendance, yes, okay, it's still a lot more people are turning up than would turn up on an ordinary Sunday. That's very, very clear. But Christmas Carol services, uh, Christmas Carol service attendance is still declining overall, um, just at a slower rate right. <laughs> than uh, Church of England attendance as a whole. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, and this has taken me a long time to uncover, actually, um, because of the way it's portrayed you know it's fluctuated a lot and there's a lot that we just can't tell like it looks like it's been on the rise in recent years which is partly why I got excited and thought, oh this is an amazing thing to study because it's on the right why is it on the rise when you know everything else is on the decline but actually it's it's sort of this is we can't tell whether this is actually a rise or, or what it connects to um, it also doesn't help that Church of England figures are extremely vague on this um, because they, they've only been as on many things um, they've only actually they been they would not be publicising the fact that they're... well no and um, they've actually only measured um, the number of congregants rather than the number of people receiving communion at Christmas since 2000 so there's just not the continuity and I think the number of communicants has been recorded since 1960 or something like that um, but it's really hard to tell and of course you know even the numbers now it doesn't really count necessarily everyone that's going to church or interacting with the church in some way at that time of year because um, you know so many organisations or schools um, or actually you know care homes or hospices or whatever actually do have their own carol services uh, or civic services um, at that time um, in the run up to December which is probably something that's changed slightly um, you know we've got carol services going on from the 3rd of December um, so it could be that all the same people are going over and over again possible um, and I'm sure for many people that's true yeah. um, but it also could be that there are a lot of people who aren't being recorded because we're only talking about the people who actually turn up on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve so what about all the other councils so there's 
a lot that's that's very vague um, and frankly if I had more time i.e. the rest of my life oh gosh who knows um, yes um, there's just so much more to be done there in terms of really working out what is going on but clearly there's something that is happening there that is attracting people you know there's a reason that things are declining more slowly at right, a, yeah. a slower rate um, in, in that area and it seems to be the same with nativity plays it's kind of a bit of a it seems to be a bit of a vestige of of the past um, in terms of the way people would view the story um, but that's something, yeah, I really just want to explore. But why haven't people done I mean, in a way, I feel like people haven't done it because it's too obvious, you know? It's kind of like, oh, it's just something that's done. It's an to play. It's Christmas. I mean, why haven't people done Christmas as much? I mean, uh, there's... Fair question. There, there's, <laughs> I mean, not just in Tutti plays. There is a wealth of... Um, literature on uh, historical aspect of Christmas and, and you know working things out from this point of view and most of that literature talks about the invention of tradition is unpicking what's happened in the Victorian age and this sort of thing um, which is fascinating but it's not anthropology it's not working out what's going on now um, more stuff's been done in America um, Daniel Miller brought out a, a book in 1990s, um, which included anthropologists talking about Christmas, but it was international, it wasn't just based on Britain, there is stuff in Britain. So that's probably the most, the closest thing that there is. Um, and then um, uh, Chris DC um, in 2016, most recent one, um, brought us a book. But again, um, his, his book's really focusing on the um, that kind of sense of juxtaposition between is this a religious festival or is it not a religious festival and that kind of tension and he's unpicking that and I'm trying to undo that binary and work out well where, where are the blurred lines which yeah I'm very interested in um, and I really hope I'll be able to you know uh, build on his research there but it's not ethnographic um, and that's all particularly focusing on emotions um, and that's where I'm kind of seeing my researchers doing something yeah. quite well unique. I mean there's because one of the things that constantly pops up in, in the study of popular culture whether or not people admit it or not when they do the research is that there is this blurred line and, yeah. and people like to say well for example this, this happens a lot in fandom and they'll say well is fandom a religion thing or is it not a religion thing and it's like yeah. well but when we say you know religion or religion what thing what, what do we really mean mm -hmm. by that because mm -hmm. I mean, it's very easy to pull the very religious studies mm -hmm. card of, well, define religion. But it, there is a certain amount of that of when you kind of look at what we would typically just point at and say, well, that's religion. Mm -hmm. You know, you can pick two of them and they would look absolutely different from one another and, and yeah. they would feel different from one another. And so what yeah. what is it that we're really getting at? And so yeah. I think that Christmas is, is a really interesting dynamic to pin it to because a lot of people would say, well, that's a religion thing, but then they would do it even if they're not religious. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And yet, it, and it's and it's everywhere. And yes, exactly. And, and there are a lot of people out there who would say, "Oh yeah, yeah, we love Christmas. Oh yeah, but it's not a religious thing for us. Not a religious thing." Yeah. And yet, um, the way in which they're celebrating, um, they're celebrating something. 
something that's very meaningful in in some way to their lives and identities, that in itself would fall into the category of study of religion for most study of religion scholars. So, but it, so I think this is, brings up really interesting and important questions about actually the difference between what ordinary person on the street considers to be a religion or religious um, and what we boffinsy spend our time thinking about this actually considered <laughs> to be religion and it is really important because I think it's easy to kind of get carried away with saying oh this is religion this is religion and I, you know and yes okay it, it might be in, so, in some way and it might share characteristics but that kind of sense of perception you know um, yeah. and reality I think it's really important to kind of think about um, it's almost more interesting when you can't put it into one of the boxes yeah. and exactly exactly um, and equally there'll be many people who do this because it's a religious tradition it is a religious tradition but they don't go for the rest of the year they don't no absolutely not but it is religious so there's just so many different kind of nuanced ways of approaching it but I think as you kind of alluded to at the beginning um, earlier on uh, there is a sense that this connects to a mainstream religious tradition you know as a festival I think yeah. most people would have a sense that Christmas does connect to Christianity in some way whether they agree with that or not um, maybe saluted some people I don't know but you know what I mean that there is that sense of tension yeah, well, and, and there's obviously a difference between an acknowledgement of the historical connections to it mm-hmm. or the connections to what they believe they're doing so that yeah. idea of the oh I celebrate Christmas but it's not a religious thing for yeah. me is, is acknowledging the fact that yes historically speaking mm-hmm. it is but it's no longer yes that. exactly, exactly. Um, and, and to walk that line yeah, yeah and knowing that that line exists and feeling like they're walking it is exactly it's fascinating exactly. and the other thing that interests me on, on that and, and was really you know it started to be un- unpicked and really interesting way in, in Chris in, in Chris Deasy's book um, is this sense of when people ask what is the true meaning of Christmas that's a phrase that I'm very used to hearing you know a lot of people invoke it but actually not just religious people um, it's not just what is the true meaning of Christmas and that has to be oh well it's Jesus Christ um what is the true meaning of Christmas? Could be love, or it family. could be family, exactly, or the home, or what's really important in life. And that's what came out of um, my MA research, which was really based on, on the carol service side of things. And wherever people sat in terms of their religious affiliation, or whether, they, you know, I deliberately contrasted people who, who, who were very regular members of the church, what their reactions were with people who just turned up Christmas. And there really wasn't very much difference in terms of the way people spoke about it um, in relation to the way that they spoke about what Christmas meant to them. Um, And that I thought was really interesting because essentially from that I kind of just drew the fact, well really for people it just seems to be a sense of what is really meaningful to them in life? Like, what is the core, you know? And that's why I think Christmas is such an important thing for many people and an important thing to study that book because um, it seems to be that sort of sense of homecoming, which is why I'm so interested in nostalgia. That's really what the root of the word means. Um, and what it means to come home, what it means to come home to yourself and what you believe in, in some way. And for a lot of people, that's a seeking kind of thing. And I think that question, what is the true meaning of Christmas, is really that question of what is truly important to me 
to us. Um, and there seems to be a sense of people seeking that in some way, a, a sense of people seeking the authentic, you know, what's really true and what's really real, which in a very confusing, you know, dare I say it, maybe postmodern, maybe post-post something world, um, is probably becoming increasingly important uh, for people. So, yeah. How has this impacted your attempt to spend Christmas with your family as a normal person? <laughs> so, it has been controversial, I won't lie. A couple of weeks ago, I sort of realised, because I hadn't really firmed up what I was doing until about a month ago and um, so it's only really just come on the table like exactly how it's going to work out my family have always been they're very supportive and they've you know always said you know oh, we know you'll, you'll be doing different things for Christmas but it's only really now that I've been like nah, actually kind of can't spend Christmas at home and clearly you know I'm staying because I do love Christmas you know I mean I have my own memories of Christmas and um, I think I'm if you didn't like it you Christmas. probably wouldn't be doing no, it <laughs> exactly really honestly um, so, yeah, so it is a problem, and frankly, yeah, if it wasn't a problem, then all of these things wouldn't be, um, wouldn't be important to talk about. Um, but yeah, so, <laughs> there, did, there was a point a couple of weeks ago when, um, I really thought, why am I doing this? Why am I doing a study about love and family and what's important to people and, you know, what is really meaningful in life when I'm destroying my own family's Christmas in the process of it. But um, we have now come up with a genius solution. And the solution is that we're going to do Christmas all over again at New Year. Oh, that's lovely, yeah. though. Um, so, but it's been really interesting to me in itself, actually, um, just working that out, because actually it has been a problem. That I mean, I have a very, very supportive family, but it's still been a pretty, you know, oh, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Oh, oh, we don't, it's going to be hard to do it without you. So they've been thinking about going away, but they don't really want to go away. My sister, um, you know, isn't actively involved at the church at the moment, but she's sung for many years in our church choir. And she's very upset that, you know, she might not be singing in the church choir. Interesting, right? Um, so there's just something there that I just think, gosh, you know, you take one person out and actually it has caused disruption. Um, so they probably wouldn't thank me for <laughs> sharing this. I'm going to have to be careful on my I can ethics towards my family. To. Um, but, um, but no, it's, um, yeah, interesting in and of itself, I think. But yes, no, Christmas will be, yeah, I will get my own Christmas. Well, and that's what I find, when you talk about the time aspect, is what I find interesting in, in relation to this talk, because I, coming from a family where, you know, my, my parents were divorced, mm. so Christmas was never dependent on what day of the year it was. It was dependent mm. on the things you were doing or the mm -hmm. food you were eating or making mm -hmm. or what decorations were in the house. That was what was determining it was Christmas rather yeah. than a day because mm -hmm. you were always doing Christmas with somebody not on Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost more that way now that I'm obviously not at home. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 
and you know and then of course you know like there's you know one sister is living in a different state and has a kid now and well on the way um, and so now she's deciding on oh well do I go home for Christmas or do I do it here okay. with this family but I don't want to do it here without this family because Christmas is there and yeah. doing those things absolutely and, yeah and this is why I'm, I'm sort of realizing more and more I'm as I study this that yes it's about Christmas but it's also not about Christmas because when you really ask people what are the issues for them at Christmas and what's going on you actually just learn about their lives and what's significant because you know it is a major problem you know when you have major you go through major identity changes you know you move away to university you've got married and then you've got the dual family thing and family um, uh, breakups and divorces and like I mean there, it becomes a very complex kind of web and actually okay well who's most important and who should we spend time with and do we have friends over or do we keep ourselves to ourselves at this time of year and there are all sorts of kind of indicators I suppose of actually what is going on and I feel like that's why it's also such a stressful time for so many people you know clearly this is not the most joyful and happy time of the year for the majority of people probably Um, and I think that's probably because there's so much pressure put on it to feel a certain way Um, and so much pressure to be a certain way I mean this is an idealisation of the family as we celebrate it at a time when the family as an institution is disintegrating Um, and there's an inherent paradox and contradiction in that Um, so I feel like it's a time when you know actually all of those kind of underlying tensions are just going to come to the fore and this is why this is so difficult you know and actually yeah if you're lonely for the rest of the year you're going to be very 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 lonely at Christmas Um, and it's that kind of sense of actually the ordinary being intensified that I'm interested in Thank you for listening to the Religion and Popular Culture podcast. If you want to find out more about Lucinda's research, you can do so by logging onto the project's webpage, lucindaslog.com slash thefestivelog, where you will also be given the opportunity to get involved by logging your own Christmas story. If you would like to follow the project as it takes shape, you can join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag thefestivelog or liking the project's Facebook page, which I've linked in the show notes below. If you're feeling particularly elf-loving, you can also follow the adventures of her research assistant, Gelf the Elf, at MyElfGelf. Join us next time where we will be talking to Chris DC and his work on nostalgia. Bill Clinton uh, saying once that uh, his greatest film, or you know, the film that he once apparently said was, was his favourite was, I think, The Godfather, where the generation before him, they might have said, I don't know, Gone with the Wind, whereas a subsequent generation may have said Star Wars, or now, I mean, what would it be now? Um, Twilight? I, I, don't, I, I don't know. Surely not. But, but, you know, in a way you need that gap. Well, do you know, actually, <laughs> I, I think you're right. So stay tuned for that, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>